coming up on One Day at a Time, also known as ODAT. When I decided I'm going to focus on my job, I'm going to focus on, you know, really savoring time at home with my husband. I am going to cook more and listen to music and sing in my kitchen and show up authentically on Instagram and not have an action plan for everything. You know what I mean? That was when the favor really started coming into my life and I was I was at peace enough to receive it. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Karina F. Daves. As a life coach, I love helping moms achieve their goals with grace. And what that means is that I love working with women and trying to figure out who the heck you were before you invested in all of these roles. Your role as a mom, as a wife, as an entrepreneur in your nine to five job, who were you and where exactly did you lose yourself? I love resurrecting the side of you that is just meant to shine. Because come on now, you were made for more. On this show, One Day at a Time, also known as ODAT, I love interviewing the true hustlers of the world, women who are basically killing it out there because you deserve more. As we continue our series, Not What I Expected, where we feature stories of women and their journeys of what they did not expect to happen in their lives, this week I'm so excited to feature Miss Natalie Nielsen Edwards, a diversity speaker, an educator, and an executive committee to empowering the people of difference. Listen as Natalie shares her journey of applying to graduate school, planning a wedding, and still working a nine to five all at the same time. Her story isn't just inspirational or full of gems, but her story allowed me to feel like a human being again. It allowed me to feel normal for my mistakes, for my thoughts, and for how I felt about certain things. And my hope is that it does the same thing for you. Before we get started, if you're not following me on social yet, head over to Instagram at my handle, Karina F. Daves, or follow me at my website at KarinaFDaves.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure you share it with all your amigos. Subscribe to it, leave me a review, download it, do whatever it is that you need to do, because this podcast is made for you, for you to feel seen, for you to feel heard. It's all for you, mama. If you're looking for some answers on if you even lost yourself through this process called life, next week, Wednesday, March 3rd at 8 p.m., I'll be hosting a webinar called Ways to Protect Your Purpose. Here, you're going to leave with a self-audit of what is going on in your life, figuring out if you need to detox from certain people, and figuring out if you even need boundaries at this point in your life. Go over to Instagram at my handle, Karina F. Daves. Go to the link in my bio and register for next week's free webinar. You do not want to miss it. And listen, mama, if you're interested in a life coach, getting your life back, figuring out who you are at your core, if you're ready for some boundaries, if you're ready to prune toxic people out of your life, toxic habits out of your life, and just getting ready to just live your life to the fullest because you were made for more, then I may be the coach for you. Just head over to my website and apply to work with me on my one-on-one coaching 12-week program. I cannot wait to hear from you. I can't wait to meet you because at the end of the day, our shared experiences, our shared testimonies is really what is going to elevate and uplift each other in our community. This podcast, these blogs, these squares on Instagram that you see, they're all meant 
to build community and to be for each other. I could care less about going viral. What I care about is building community and building up women like you. I love you so much, chica. I can't wait to meet you. Te quiero mucho. And now, Miss Natalie Edwards. Hey, Natalie, how are you? Hi, Karina. I feel like we're <laughs> friends already. I know. <laughs> I know. I asked all of my guests to, in 15 to 20 seconds, share any anything that they want about themselves with our listeners. So you don't even have to say your title. If you want to, you could. But your favorite type of music, your favorite food to eat, you got 20 seconds to just say anything you want about yourself. Oh, geez. Okay. I am a God-fearing child of God. I am the parent. My parents are two immigrants from Jamaica. I grew up in Texas, so I love chips and salsa. Um, And I love sitting on the couch watching reality television and trying to be as productive as possible while also caring for myself in this pandemic. Amen. Amen. I love it. I love it. So we love taking people back to high school. So if I were to meet let's say 15-year-old Natalie, who are you in high school? In high school, I, 15-year-old, and and high school was different for me because my parents actually divorced when I was 16. So 15-year-old me and 17-year-old me were very different. So 15-year-old me, um, I was an all-A student. I was usually the only Black girl in the honors classes at my public high school outside of Houston. Um, I, let's see, I was in really intensive ballet classes after school. Um, and the expectation of me was to go to college and excel. And then after my parents got divorced, um, I still had the same aspirations, but I also really internalized that a lot of the things I took for granted were just that. So I started working after school in restaurants and at my local Ben and Jerry's. I, you know, tried really hard to put gas in my used car and save money. And I remember very vividly going to Walgreens to get envelopes so I can mail my college applications and like saving uh, for those and the postage and all of that. And I think that's now like obsolete, but back then (laughs) you had to mail it. And so, yeah, I just, I don't know, that high school me, I would love to go back. I mean, senior year, the boys basketball team made the state final championship. So we all carpooled to Austin um, to go to the University of Texas and see them play. Um, But like those and like Friday night football games and all of that, I miss. But also I look back on high school and really am thankful for all the growth that I had because I do think that if I didn't go through that hardship, I would be a different person today. Mm. Um, And I think I've gotten to where I am because I don't take the next step for granted. I always work for it. Wow. I love it. And I think a lot of us, you know, whose parents were divorced at, you know, a young age, we, you know, don't, we don't see that as something that actually elevated us, that propelled us, that like, you know, while yes, there is a lot of pain in that, I think there is a story to tell um, there as well, but that's another podcast. (laughs) Um, And so after high school, you graduate, you know that, you know, basically you were motivated to seek higher education and you knew that a lot of people were counting on you, right? Like that was the push for you. Um, 
where did you go and what did you do in college? Yeah, so I um, overachieved and applied to as many colleges as I could. And ultimately I got a scholarship to go to Howard University, um, which I smile at because I'm very proud of my education from Howard. I feel like it's made me a incredibly better person but also I have experienced a lot in the working world, people dismissing that education or just being like, what's that? Huh? Wow. You know? And so just always having to defend my education by people that didn't understand not only that black colleges existed or thought less of them. Wow. And, you know, being in DC where Howard is, we also have like Georgetown. We also have, you know, GW and all these other schools that I felt were looked at with more honor but at my you know, my multiple employers. So I always was kind of the underdog, unfortunately, but at the same time, swelling with pride because I knew that, you know, I, my education really was great for me and made me a better person, but I went and I got a scholarship and, you know, and I haven't really said this to very many people publicly, but my first semester, I really screwed up. Like I didn't go to class, I did, you know, like, I mean, I did, but like, I also, you have to keep in mind too, in high school, when you are quote unquote, supposed to be young, you know, mm -hmm. and like go to the mall with your friends and, um, you know, go hang out or the movies or just go and linger, you know, at, you know, the town center or whatever. I was working, you wow. know, to get to college. So when I got to college and someone invited me to the mall, I was like, yeah, even though I had a test the next day. And I remember, um, you know, at my, my scholarship, you had to have a 3.3 at the end of the year for it to renew. And by the end of, I'll never forget this. By the end of that first semester, I had a 2.35. Dang. GPA. And I realized even if I got all A's the next semester, I would still end with a 3.25. And I, the next semester, I got all A's, ended with 3.25, and they still revoked my scholarship. I remember going home to Houston at the end of that year and like really saying to myself, what the hell am I going to do? And ultimately I decided to stay at Howard and take out the loans. And I got some help from my family, but by no means could they cover the whole expense. And, you know, it really humbled me. And for the next three years, I, I interned, I really dedicated myself to my studies I graduated with a three point, I think one nine GPA. I wasn't a 4.0 student by any means. Mm -hmm. I still had fun. I still wanted to experience college, but having that taken away from you so quickly um, was very hard for me. And it was still stuck in the back of my head. And um, yeah, so I don't know, but I, but I also look back with grace because I'm like, you know what? Like I learned, you know, the boundary between having fun and achieving what you're there to achieve. Yeah. And I'm proud of myself for learning that lesson. And I, and I look back with forgiveness and grace about myself and self-compassion, because I knew that when I was in college that first semester, I was trying to be 16 year old Natalie that never got to be 16. Wow. So I just felt like I was so stupid because I, again, you also have to think about this coming from Houston. I was one of the only people in my class of 600 people at my high school in my grade to leave the state to go to college. And so I knew that if I came back and like went to a local college, I would see people and they'd be like, what happened to your fancy college in DC? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I decided to persevere and I'm so glad I did. Again, Howard was the best time of my life. I also met 
my best friends. I met my husband. We got married at Howard years later. Like I, I don't regret it. And I lived in DC for four years after graduating. So wow. to me, DC is like one of my first homes of where I really came of age mm-hmm. um, as an independent person on my own. But yeah, I just tell that story because I think sometimes, and I've, you know, fast forward, I ended up going to business school. Um, and a lot of people look up to me because they're like, wow, your GPA from college wasn't like a 4.0 and you got into like the Wharton school. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. But like, what you also don't realize is that like, I also lost my scholarship and like that taught me that about myself. So I just share that not to be like a Debbie Downer, but just if anyone's listening, you do not have to be perfect. You can still royally screw up wow. <laughs> and wow. still decide wow. that you're either going to crumble for it or you're going to learn from it and keep moving. Wow. And pick yourself back up. You know what I mean? Like, I think the most, for me, the most inspiring thing that you just said is I look back at that time and I forgive myself. And here's the thing, like, I'm also looking back at the time of like two weeks ago and still forgiving myself, you know, like that habit of giving yourself grace and forgiveness over and over again, like you learned early on, but like, it doesn't stop there. We have to continue giving ourselves so much grace and forgiveness and also understanding that um, we're going to be different people at different periods of our lives. You know what I mean? It's like different versions of us are going to come out. My husband says all the time in the last nine years, I've been married to at least 30 versions of Karina. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm like, I feel bad for you, but it's because it's necessary to grow. You know what I mean? I, I, I had, you know, I valued different things than I did nine years ago and it's important to give each other grace. And I think for anybody listening, you know, I can also raise my hand up and say, I parted really hard my first semester. And my counselor after that, I had a 2.5 GPA and he said, you are wasting the government's money. So you might as well leave. No, 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 no. I cannot leave. (laughs) My parents will kill me. And I ended up just turning the table. And was I like the perfect student for the next four years or even the perfect friend or, you know, I I, I wasn't, but I made it out. Not with, you know, like you said, not with a 4.0. I don't even remember. I think it was like a three point something. But at the end of the day, I had to pick myself up again because I, I just wanted to win, you know? And at that point, I, which was wrong, which now I realize I, my sort of like thing that I was trying to follow was making sure that I was going to achieve my parents' dreams of me graduating, you know, and having that immigrant mentality. But what I realized later on is I needed to chase my own dreams. Mm -hmm. And again, that's a whole nother podcast, but (laughs) it's a, now you enter, um, now you enter the business school, but I think you got married right before the business school, right? Like, how did you, that's a lot. You did your wedding, went to business school. But yeah, I fast forward. Um, I got engaged. My fiance at the time, now husband was in law school in DC and, um, I was working and, um, that we decided to be engaged for a year and a half because I, again, found myself wanting to have a beautiful wedding, but like not really having a lot of funds. Um, DC is a very expensive city. And so both of us, like I bartended in the evenings and on weekends, he also drove for Uber and Lyft, like on the wow. side together and we saved. But, you know, I go back over these 18 months, people are always kind of shocked. So I'll tell you what happened. In those 18 months, my husband was applying, was uh, taking the bar exam 
Um, I was doing two, not one, but two prep programs for business school applications. So one was for people of color applying, one was for women. So I did both. Um, I was taking the GMAT. I also, for my 25th birthday, I wanted to run a marathon. Again, unpacking, uh, now I look back, unpacking me being active with achievement. Um, I wanted to run a marathon and I decided upon the Paris Marathon in France um, and so I trained for that. And when I crossed the finish line in Paris, the next day we went to the Louvre Museum and, you know, we're in a foreign country, so we don't really have Wi-Fi like that. And my husband's phone connects to the Wi-Fi there. And I'm sitting in the gift shop, or like the cafe, looking at him in the gift shop and he is bawling. Like he's like hunched over um, in tears and to the point where I have to go get him. And what happened was his phone connected to the Wi-Fi in the gift shop, unbeknownst to him, and a barrage of text messages come in because his best friend, who he had asked three months prior to be the best man in our wedding, had gone to sleep the night before in California and did not wake up. Like he had a seizure in his sleep and suffocated on his pillow, perfectly healthy. And so we then went back to our Airbnb and tried to find a flight from Paris to Los Angeles to go to the funeral. It was just a very hard time. And then we got married um, uh, the next year and the wedding was beautiful. And (laughs) following week, I started or two weeks, week and a half, 10 days. So we got married July 29th and on August 9th, I started at Wharton in Philadelphia so yeah I mean we went to South Africa for our honeymoon because that was really important to us Um, and we had worked hard and saved and all that and um, we came back to Philly and I woke up the next day and I started at Warren so it was really a whirlwind and those 18 months I worked we worked we saved money for a wedding we planned a wedding Um, we both were in a period of transition he was taking the bar exam, which is highly intensive. I was applying to 13 business schools, um, doing like, which by the way, is such a ridiculous process in my opinion. And I feel like one day when I have lots of disposable income, I'm gonna have like a program or a scholarship program or something for people applying because what's not seen is like, take the test is $250 to apply to these schools each, it's $300. Uh, If you want to go to diversity days or any sort of activity, you got to pay for your flight hotel, like just, it adds up. Um, And I was doing all of that with my consulting salary and my waitressing job and my bartending job and saving money for a wedding in DC. Um, So like, I don't know, I don't know how I got through that time, but it was again, another hustle moment in my life. And I find that like, I'm very good at hustling if I need to, but also now that I'm more time has passed, I'm trying to figure out how to like, not be so proud of that. Because if if I'm not careful, I tend to glorify hustle culture and valuing my self-worth in what I'm achieving to Mm. this point. Wow. So I just, it just, life brings a lot more (laughs) self-awareness and reflect and so you start to see patterns in your life. Um, and while I'm proud that when the chips are down, I can figure out a way to succeed, 
that also, if unchecked, makes me, um, what am I trying to say? If it goes unchecked, then it makes me feel proud of myself only if the chips had been down. Mm. Okay. Or if something comes to me easily, or if I'm naturally good at something, I'm not as proud of it as if I had to struggle. Mm. You know, like all of that has to be unpacked. You see what I'm saying? I never thought of like, I never thought of glorifying the hustle mentality. Mm-hmm. I never thought that I could be doing that because it's something that's literally like in my DNA. When you have immigrant parents and I think your dad is from Jamaica, right? Yeah, both my mom and my dad. Oh, okay. So, and when you have immigrant parents, like there is such a proudness that mm-hmm. comes with suffering and like any, I never thought that anything that came easy to me, if I didn't suffer through it, it wasn't meaningful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I never thought about it that way. I always thought, I, I never thought that I was actually glorifying the hustle mentality because here's the thing. I did a series called don't be ashamed to hustle. Yeah. <laughs> And I, and I, and I was like all about like, you know, wear it on your sleeve. Like it is what it is. This is your come up. Don't worry. Like tell your story, but there's probably still instances now that I go through even the imposter syndrome, all of that, where I'm like, yeah, like this needs to come hard to me. Like I really need to suffer through this in order for it to be meaningful. But you know what, Karina, I think this is important to unpack because at the older I get, the more I realize that the word hustle sometimes is misused. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with what I understand the word hustle to mean, which is don't easily give up. It's okay if something doesn't come quickly that you have to work for it for a while. What I strongly oppose is when hustle is used as a synonym for grind, Mm. where you got to be you know, waking up at five o'clock in the morning to work on your side hustle, unless you're staying up all night, you really don't care about it. You know what I mean? Like um, if you, if you are sacrificing your health, Mm -hmm. that's the only way you are truly willing, like, you know, like, like Instagram culture kind of shows like in order for you to entrepreneur or in order for you to do something, you have to give it your all, your all, you know, like, like that guy at the gym that has like bigger biceps than, than his head. You know what I mean? Unless you are working out like that, you went working out like we take everything, unless it's exaggerated, it means nothing. It means nothing. And like, for me, one of the biggest revelations I've had is like being okay with ending things that aren't serving me Mm. because I had internalized that I have to see it through to the end for me to have done something justice. And like, so this was like, manifesting as me taking classes I didn't care about in business school when I could have withdrawn and taken something I was interested in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not a quitter, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. my parents are immigrants and I'm at this school. I'm the only black person in the class right now. You know what I mean? How dare I leave the class? You know, I got to show up, you know, and things are like, or, you know, um, doing extracurricular activities that were really great for three months. And after that got boring and I stayed years Wow. Because I didn't want to be seen as someone who quit, you know, mm-hmm. or like, and so that's, that's the point. It's like, it's one that I've also had businesses where it took years for it to become profitable. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad I didn't give up, but you know, 
one of those businesses, I would work for an hour every Saturday and I would feel guilty that I wasn't working 10 hours, 12 hours every Saturday on it, you know? And I'm like, why can't I just be happy? Wow. <laughs> like, you know, doing something that's approachable. And I've also had side hustles in the past where like very quickly I made money. Like it was almost too easy. And I felt on the other side of that, right. On the other side, when it's too easy, you're like, oh, this isn't legit. Cause mm-hmm. I didn't have to struggle. You know, I'd have to figure it out. Like I didn't have to grind and like, you know, and, and when we think of entrepreneurship, particularly the, the image we see in our head is not positive. Mm-hmm. It's a cup of coffee, staring at a screen, figuring it out. You know, it's not someone making money or having a smile on their face. It's like, the struggle to get to that finish line. So I don't know, that's just my thought process. But yeah, I would just say like hustle culture is fine. I think it's important to like not throw in the towel too easily, Mm -hmm. but like, I don't think it has to be at the expense of your mental health or even your physical health Mm -hmm. to count. Yeah, because part of being an entrepreneur is also taking time to invest in your mindset, your self-care, all of that. And I think, you know, just to make a comparison when we talk about, this um, entrepreneurship and hustle mentality and how like we shouldn't glorify the, you know, having to like stay up all night and and just suffer and not take care of ourselves first. I really think about motherhood because when I became a mother to Terrence Jr., TJ, my son, I had seen so much of like the, the glory of like not sleeping and like not taking care of myself and sort of this culture where it kind of made me believe that if if taking care of my son came ever easy, that I wasn't a good mom. Mm. And after I had TJ, um, you know, a lot of people may or may not know this, but like I slept trained him. It ended up working for us and it was great. And I remember uh, he felt he what he slept through the night at nine weeks. And I remember why I was happy. A part of me felt guilty because I felt like I felt like I'm sleeping now. (laughs) I'm taking care of myself now. Like now it's, you know, now we can get a rhythm and we can get something going. And I also hesitate to even share that with other people because I feel like I'll be looked down upon. Shonda Rhimes' book reminds me of this, um, The Year of Yes. She says in, in one of her chapters, she says, you know, here's the thing about certain communities. Like there, there's this like unofficial, um, badge of honor mm-hmm. if you like suffer so much and don't take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do we change? How do we change that conversation to say like, you know, self-care is important. Self-care is beautiful and it's necessary. But then how also do we even like change the mom shame culture where it's like, it's okay. Like I should be okay dressing up and having a normal shower. But there's other times where I don't, I I'm in both worlds. You know what I mean? And I shouldn't have to pick one over the other. Um, anyways, but choosing yourself first, I think is, <laughs> is sort of the, the thing that we're getting at here. Um, I thank you for sharing that. And I know you already said, like, I'm not sure where I, um, got the grit to go through all these things, but I wanted to challenge you to try to answer that because I think it's super important for, for us to hear not only our stories, but like, if you had to think about it through that, through planning a wedding, through all those freaking jobs and being in business school, like, what was it that kept you going? Even if it was three things, like, what was it that made you 
you know, win that victory? I mean, for me, I think that I've never really been a, a focused person in the way that you would be traditionally. Cause you know, if I, I always say that if I was able to focus, I probably would have had a 4.0 in college or, you know, in business school. And I did. Okay. I was always like an A or B student. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've just been very like time management for me has always been about prioritization. Um, And I'm very good at like, and it's causing problems. Well, not problems, but I'm shifting my mindset now later in life, but like, I've always thrived in like seeing everything as a short-term project. So like, instead of I'm going to apply to business school over the next year and a half, it was for the next month, I'm going to learn how to take this test. Mm. And then the month after that, I'm going to start researching schools and the next month. So it's like, I wasn't doing all the things all the time. Like I wasn't taking the test for the next six months. No, for the next month, I'm taking this test. And so therefore I was able to say no to going to brunch and everyone who's lived in DC knows this is a whole social thing. I wasn't going to brunch. I was going to birthday parties. I was working and studying to take this test. And I was able to take the test after six weeks of studying, got the score I wanted and never looked back. And that allowed me to then focus on phase two, which is researching schools. When I finished that, I focused on getting my essays together for a month. You know, like, so instead of saying I have this huge process for the next year, I was like, okay, I got like, you know, if there are 12 months and there's 12 steps in that process, let me do one at, one at a time. Uh, and, <clears throat> you know, so that's kind of how I've been very good at like laser focusing on breaking it down into mini goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what's helped me get through it. So in high school, I got to go to college, mm-hmm. right? So that allowed me to like put my head down and make it pop. Um, and then in uh, when we were engaged, I got to get married and get into business school, mm-hmm. right? That allowed me to like, really excel in terms of, you know, separating all these tasks into days of the week or, um, you know, people always ask me, how did you apply to 13 schools? Well, because I was focused on one goal. You see what I'm saying? And when I ran the marathon, that was my life for like (laughs) three months. You know what I mean? I wasn't like, I didn't start planning my wedding, even though I was engaged, I didn't start planning my wedding until after I crossed that finish line. Wow. As I couldn't do both at the same time. Like I just knew that that would not work. Um, and also that was when I started to get serious about, um, like actually taking the steps to apply to business school. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's just been very, I find that I tend to actually not do as well when there are too many things on my plate at once. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I hope that's a good answer, but no, no, it is because it's, it's basically something that I like work with my clients with is bite size. Like you literally just focus on certain like smaller steps to get to the bigger goal, but you don't have 17 million goals. You have right. just one goal and you take it one day at a time. And right. that is what's going to do a couple things. It's going to hold you accountable. It's going to make you, like you said, laser focus, and you're actually going to yield results from that process rather than having, when you have so much going on and you're focused on 17 million things, unless you have 16 million assistants, then nothing gets done. You know what I mean? Like then you don't get anything done. Um, and so you get married, you graduate from um, uh, business school, and now you go out into the workforce. Now what? What is your desire? What are you passionate about? Where is your mindset? Because knowing what I know now, you've probably been preparing for the next step in the in that last you know couple months of graduation. Yeah. So um, what many people don't realize, because I 
get a lot of DMs to this day about how did you get your job at Estee Lauder being in diversity and inclusion when you didn't have that on your resume before? <laughs> um, in between college and business school, I was at Deloitte Consulting doing government consulting, um, usually with HR departments and government agencies um, and really helping them think strategically on problems they were having, whether it be, you know, hey, we want to hire more people um, and most of our workforce is going to retire soon and we need to hire more millennials. How do we market the agency to more millennials that at the time only wanted to work at Google or Facebook or all the quote unquote cool companies? How do we compete? And so like those would be the issues that I would have to sit for months and help them solve. And, and so I was doing a lot of diversity work there. And then I went to business school and as much as I love the Wharton school and at the time it was not very diverse and I felt that I could influence that. And so I got to work with the leadership and really help them turn around in terms of specifically what I worked on was black student enrollment and marketing to the black applicant and help them turn that around pretty quickly. Um, and I was running the schools. I was like actually on the diversity inclusion task force with the Dean. I was helping to craft their diversity strategy. Wow. It was also during the time, if you remember the, um, Starbucks incident where black men were called the police on um, for for not buying something and wanting to use the bathroom. It was a mess. And um, Starbucks closed all of its stores to have unconscious bias training. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. That Starbucks was two blocks from my apartment in Philly um, Mm -hmm. while at Wharton getting my MBA running diversity strategy. So overnight, like when I left Deloitte, diversity really wasn't a conversation. It wasn't a career. I knew it at the time to be someone in human resources who did all the government reporting on like how many minorities work here and how many women, you know, all those like contractually compliant things you have to report out on. And in two years when I was at school, it went from that to being a strategic move by a large corporation like Starbucks. So I thought, okay, if I'm, and I decided to do some research on the field And quickly found out that like people that work in diversity really advise these senior leaders on how to make the company more inclusive, how to increase education, um, everything from marketing advice to workforce policy. And I was like, that's everything I'm doing now at Wharton for free. Wow. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and I decided to like tell my professor I wanted to do this work full time. And she introduced me to someone she knew and it turned into an actual job. If you're a mom who feels lost, who doesn't know where she is in her life, who doesn't know where her dreams went, her aspirations went, if you lost your grit, then you may need a life coach and we may be a match. I love helping moms achieve their goals with grace. I love resurrecting the part of you that was passionate, the part of you that was an entrepreneur, the part of you that knew that you were somebody before you were their mom. And that person still matters. So if you're ready to have a life coach like me in your life, go to the link in my bio on Instagram or go to my website, KarinaFDaves.com or my handle at KarinaFDaves on Instagram. Fill out the application and let's see if we're a match. Through my 12-week coaching program, we will get to the core of what is going on with you. We're going to talk about boundaries. We're going to talk about the people in your life. We're going to talk about the things in your life. And we're going to talk about the places, your environment, the things that are around you, holding you back from your true purpose. Because remember, mama, you have a bigger purpose than being somebody's somebody. Whether that's somebody's mom, somebody's wife, 
somebody's coworker. You were made for more. I can't wait to meet you and I can't wait to talk to you. Te quiero mucho. And wow. so I started at Estee uh, 10 days after I graduated from Wharton. And it's, I never looked back. But the advice I give people, because now, you know, unfortunately, right, with the unfortunate murder of George Floyd, diversity is hot and everybody wants to do this work. And I get a lot of questions about how do I position myself? And I know it sounds cheesy, but, you know, even now that I hire for roles on my team, you know, at the companies I've been at, I always look for who is doing the work for free. Mm. Because that tells me, because this work, you have to roll up your sleeves, you have to roll with the circumstances, you got to roll with the changes, uh, what's happening in the world, and how do you adapt, you know, what you work on to different parts of the company, you know. And so if you're a, like, I always, you know, when I was at Warren, if someone had told me, oh, yeah, keep doing this work and get a job in this field, I would have laughed at them because, again, I did not ask me to name one person that worked in diversity inclusion, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. But I was still working, Karina, a full course load at Wharton MBA, which at the time was the number one business school in the world, ranked. I was newly married. And after class, I was working on diversity initiatives for this school for free. Wow. Because I love the work so much. And I felt that it would make an impact that needed to be made. And so when a paid opportunity came up to, I'm, in my mind, I'm like, wait a minute, I could do this work and get paid to do it. <laughs> like I just did not, you know, and so I've never looked back. And, and I think that's what makes me good at my job because I didn't enter the decision of doing this work with money involved. Wow. You know what I mean, I didn't say, okay, I'll, 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 you know, advocate for people to be well presented and to be treated fairly and to have a diverse peer group in this institution. If you, you know, oh, because you're paying me. No, mm-hmm. I did it because it mattered to me. And I always advise people, if you wouldn't do it for free, don't do it. Um, and I'm not saying voluntarily enter a situation where you're doing all this work and not getting paid. Like, mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying. But like, usually I, I just, I just don't think it's a coincidence that I did this work when there was no promise of me being compensated for it or one day being an executive because of it. There was literally no upside to me of this work other than the impact it would make. And that's what makes it so much easier to do my job now that I actually have compensation and financial resources. Because at Wharton, I was making changes literally that cost nothing. Mm-hmm. And now I, I you know, am making changes to large corporations with budget hundreds of thousands of dollars um, to play with to drive change and it just makes it that much easier for me because I know what it's like to make change with nothing nothing yeah yeah wow that's beautiful like it is not what you expected like you didn't expect all this free work that you were doing that was something that you were passionate about like I'm sure there was definitely times where you were like wow they like depend on me a student depends on me to make you know, driving force types of changes, like at a large institution that, like you said, it was the number one business school at the time. It is not what you expected, but, you know, a lot of us go through life having a job. I think that we hate and that we resent a lot Mm -hmm. because society has trained us to believe that we work nine to fives and that we never grow. We never work on anything that we're passionate about. We never do anything new. 
we just come home and, you know, just watch TV and just go through life and become a checklist person, right? You just check things off a list. You get married, you have kids, you buy the house. But like the most prominent thing you said was impact. Like Mm -hmm. this made me, this made me know that I wanted to do this because I was making an impact. And so a lot of times people say that, um, I've heard this saying before where it's that you, you die at 21, but you don't get buried till you're 65. Mm. That means that from 21 to 65, you're on autopilot, just like roaming through the world, kind of just like not doing anything with any of the gifts that you've been anointed with, but just like going through life and worrying about things you shouldn't worry about um, and not making any type of impact. And I think for you, when I think about like your journey, like I'm pretty sure people are like, wow, like she's so young, like to have to have found your passion at such a young age, I think is like such a beautiful thing. Do you ever think about you know, I know you have a new role, but like, do you, do you ever think about sort of the pressures that come with a lot of those things? Because I think a lot of us don't enter situations because of fear. Mm -hmm. Right. And a part of me always wants to normalize that. And I know we tend to do that even like our, on our Instagram pages, we want people to see the most authentic side of us. Like as much as I coach and can inspire, I want you to see that I get pissed off at my husband. I want you to see that, like, I am afraid of something sometimes, but I pick myself back up. Do you ever also get the same senses where you feel the pressure, you feel the fears, you fear, you feel all of these things going on as you're being elevated? Yeah. Well, first I'll just say like the earlier point you made, my aunt says all the time that no experience is lost. Mm. And I'm not saying that people should stay in toxic work environments to get something out of it. That's not what I'm saying. But one thing that I learned in college, I had a professor at Howard in fact, all the business students had to take this class freshman year. And in the orientation, the professor apparently every year would make this speech. And since I think he's retired, so the current Howard students have no idea what I'm talking about when I bring this up, but um, he would say, make sure to get your groceries. Meaning like you, when you go to the grocery store for, when you have a list of things you and you go home, you realize you forgot something, you go back and you get what you came for. And how you mess up in life is when you go to the grocery store with no list <laughs> and you get all these things and you go home and you're like, wow, I got all these random snacks and I, you know, I can't make dinner because these things don't go together. And he's like, the point of the speech was to, whether it's college or even a job, you need to know what you're coming for, right? You need to know what you're giving and you need to know what you're getting out of this. And I'm not saying be transactional with choices you make, but like, in every situation, even if a job you can't stand or a job you're bored in or a job that you feel like you're not um, getting, you're reaching your most potential in that job, you're still getting a skill. You're still, it's up to you to understand what it is. Um, and every job I've had, whether it be a job that incredibly excites me or was really boring, um, I knew, okay, what is a transferable skill that I'm getting out of this situation? What is the lesson that I'm learning working for this boss? And I really can't stand like all of these things. And so like, instead of just going through life on autopilot, as you mentioned, every step of the way, whether it was a great one or eh, don't really care about this stage or this moment in my life, I always knew either I'm succeeding or I'm learning something. Mm -hmm. And it was up to me to keep track of those things. And so to this day, I'm in a a job that I love. And in many ways, I feel like it's my dream job. And every strength I have 
came from either a skill I learned at a job that wasn't really great for me or was something I saw someone in authority really stink at. And I decided I wasn't going to be a manager like that. So like all of those things, I think, and to answer your actual question about being a executive and a chief diversity officer at such a young age, that comes with a lot of, if I'm going to keep it real, that comes with a lot of growth personally. And I never question if I can do the job. I know that this is my skill set and I love my job and I'm excited to make impact. But when you reach where you want to go so young, if you're not careful that really, you really have to correct the anxious thoughts in your head. So there's a lot, I mean, that, and, and we don't talk, I feel like about age diversity enough. I think a lot of us talk about imposter syndrome as women or imposter syndrome as the only person of color in the room. But when you are at a table with people that are decades older than you, right? That impacts how you get dressed in the morning. That impacts, you know, what earrings you wear, that impact. Cause I mean, I really thought to myself, okay, do I need to start buying Ann Taylor? <laughs> like I, cause I was like, oh my God, if I wear this, are they gonna think I'm like too young? And you know, and like, I think when we hear about age discrimination, we often hear about it on the other spectrum, like people being treated like they're too old for the job. And I'm not saying that my experience is normal being too young for the job, so to speak, but like that comes with some mindset shifts too, because you're like, if I use certain words, if I, you know, hold my phone while I'm in a meeting, are they going to think I'm on social media? Like all the negative stereotypes of being someone who is younger, is that what they're thinking? And again, I know this not, but like in my head, I literally, you know, would spend way more time getting dressed and I'm I'm on Zoom, right? Like I'm not even with these people because we're in a pandemic. And I'm like, oh my God, does this shirt make me look professional? <laughs> mm -hmm. Because I want to make sure that I'm not in a hoodie, you know? And so my point is, it's like, I just want to encourage everybody. You can work in inclusion and you can be the most educated person about making a space where you can fully bring yourself to work. And because of the signals we pick up in society, this, because of the issues and the messages we've learned growing up, you individually can still feel like, how do I bend and mold myself to fit in? Mm -hmm. And it's no one made you feel this way. Like there's no evidence about this at all. I love my coworkers. Um, and still I struggle with that sometimes. I have to check myself. Like, no, Natalie, like wear what you want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're here for a reason and it's time to be your authentic self. Wow. So I just encourage everybody because I think sometimes when you see someone younger who has reached a really big career milestone there's an element of aspiration there oh I want to be her wow she's so senior in her organization but you know I once heard a mentor of mine um, say that it's very lonely at the top and I didn't understand what she meant and now I'm like okay mm -hmm. I get it mm -hmm. um yeah because it's like when you succeed and you, you know, talk to family or friends and they ask you, so how's it like chief? Mm -hmm. Like, why can't you just ask me what it's like? What's like, how's life, Natalie? You know what I mean? It's like, you're in this almost a different stratosphere. So I just feel like there are days where simultaneously I'm proud of my career progression, but I also just want to be seen as myself again. Wow. Wow. And so how do you 
how do you work with your family and your friends in that aspect? Because I think, you know, we I've spoken on um, this podcast a lot about boundaries and what the support look like. Um, and I work at a university and my parents give out my numbers to their friends whose kids are applying. And I'm like, I don't work for the admissions office. I, <laughs> it's not where I work. And I think for me, I always say like, you know, to support me, like you don't have to know the details of my job. You don't know how, have to know exactly what I'm doing to support me. Doesn't mean you fully have to understand it. It just means that you support me in whatever way I ask you to, whether it's to check in on me and all that. Um, how do you, how do you like work with your family and your friends setting up those boundaries and sort of, you know, Cause I'm sure there's people that don't really understand, you know, what you do and the impact that you're making. And that's why even sometimes it can feel lonely because, you know, a lot of people don't know. How do you work with that, with that, those dynamics? Uh, I mean, I, I, and well, how do I answer this? Because I feel like there's like the answer I'd give in normal times. And then there's answers I'd give in a pandemic, right? <laughs> um, but in general, I, you know, what I just said about, I want to be seen as me, not for my job. I realize that that's actually up to me, right? So the same way I might be like, why is everyone asking questions about my job? Well, do I lead with that when I introduce myself, right? Do when, when someone asks me to describe myself, does my job come out my mouth in the first three words? Like, <laughs> you know, like, and so I really have to audit myself. So when I'm with friends or I'm on the phone with friends or FaceTime with friends, I try not to talk about my job right away. I, I seek to be the person I want them to see me as, which is still Natalie who sat next to you in math class or whatever the relationship was. Um, and if it comes to my career, then I'll be honest with you. This, yeah, this is what's going on and I'm having fun and blah, blah, blah. But like I, so it was just really the mindset shift, Karina, of instead of wondering why people treated me a certain way, I needed to check myself that I, I did not see myself as this person who's an executive. And that wasn't a part of like, like, let me be clear. I don't mean to say that like, I can't see myself as an executive. It is a part of my life. It is my job. I thoroughly enjoy my job. I love my job. But is it a part of, there's something, there's a difference between something being a part of your life and it being a part of your identity. That's deep. Okay. So like, I just same way. Um, so many, you know, when I'm on Instagram and somebody puts, you know, in their bio, like wife, or like I've never had wife in my Instagram bio because while I am married, that is a role that I play. It's not who I am, you know? And I felt like, you know, we spoke about going to business school I got married and went to business school and I felt like that was written on my forehead. <laughs> it was like, so you just got married, right? And I'm just like, my name is Natalie. Nice to meet you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know you. I'm meeting you for the first time. Why are you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I just, yeah. So, wow. yeah. but you That's know, big. go ahead. I also realized, wait, like, but in orientation, I was passing around my phone and showing everybody my wedding pictures. So mm. why am I mad that they are, you know, <laughs> Yeah. And so like, I don't know, it's a, it's a balance of like, how do I want to show up in the world um, as myself? And I think, you know, many people, while the pandemic is absolutely terrible, and I hope we turn a corner soon as a country, 
it has made me slow down. And I believe a blessing in that is really analyzing how I show up and how I see myself as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the relationships I have and the impact I'm able to make um, and how I, what I, what I choose to see value in and what is part of my life and what is part of my identity as well. I never thought of them as two separate things. Mm-hmm. Whatever, like whatever's a part of my life isn't necessarily my identity. I never thought about it that way. Mind blowing. Like I'm literally just sitting here. Like this is why I, this is sort of like the backup to when I say I'm more than a mom. Mm-hmm. And I just finished a series called more than a mom. And the sort of like lingering thing was the story was that you wake up one day and you're like, what is going on? I'm more than this. Like, I know I'm something else. So let me go out here and start a fashion blog, or let me go out here and start a company of empowerment, or let me go out here, you know, and start something else. But like, we are more, we are more like than whatever life tries to tag on us. So thank you so much for that. Like, it's, I'm sure our listeners hearing like have a lot so much to unpack and think about. But I also think that self-actualization, like constantly checking in with ourselves and constantly self-assessing, like I call it auditing. I feel like there needs to be a daily audit. Like what did I do great today? And what do I definitely need to prune and get the heck out of my mind, you know, and not start with tomorrow? And to be honest, like we also have to be our own coaches and our own cheerleaders and say, great job. You made that coffee amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Unlike me who is famous for starting my Keurig without a mug. (laughs) And so before you know it, I'm on a Zoom call and coffee is running down my counter onto my floor. And I'm like, oh, damn. Like, (laughs) I forgot to put a cup there. But yeah, good for you. Coffee amazing. Yeah. So when you do put a mug under there, you're like, yes, like I did it. I freaking rock. (laughs) I hope I'm not oversharing by the way, but I feel like I want to keep it real. And, but you know, that's also a part of, um, growth. I feel like the more successful you are, the less you feel like you can be transparent because you're going to be open to criticism. Mm -hmm. If you show that you're human, you know, so I just, Part of me is still kind of battling that anxiety between, did I say too much? You know, did I share too much of my personal life? But so I'm hoping it's resonating for those. No, a thousand percent. And I, and I can, I honestly says like, I can tell you that I battle with that as well. Like even on a platform like Instagram, like after I do my lives or after I share like how angry I was at my husband for napping while my baby napped, I'm like, was that oversharing? And I'm like, no, I'm keeping it real. Like there are days where that upsets me and there are days where I'm like, whatever, I could care less. But that day it upset me. (laughs) And so I made something about it because I felt like it would resonate with somebody else. And how can we make an impact if we're constantly not sharing? right? Like how can other people learn and grow or even have those moments of epiphanies or revelations where they're like, whoa, I think that's happening to me too. If we don't share, Mm -hmm. it reminds me of, this is not like probably a good example, but it reminds me of before we became homeowners, we lived in this like five, like 600 square foot apartment. It was so small. And we used to go around like people who were home buyers, we would say, or homeowners, you would say like, how did you get that? Like, how do people get houses? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, how do you, how do you afford that? And I think, you know, some people would be like, oh yeah, like, you know, just save your money. But then there would be other people 
that would literally give us like, well, I had to do this. I worked three jobs. We eliminated this. We didn't go out as much. We like, they gave us a plan. We canceled our cable, Um, you know, giving like, what'd you say? Like a roadmap. Yes, like a roadmap. And so our experiences on this very platform that we're on right now is giving people a road a roadmap that they can decide to take or not. And so I think it's super, it's an influence. Like you're, you're providing a platform of influence for people to say like, okay, I can do this. And this is her map and what she took. And let me try it out or let me take some nuggets from it and I'll definitely get to my destination, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so- One of the last things that I'll ask you, which is what we ask everybody, is in 20 seconds or less, if you had to sum up everything that you've learned, all your life lessons, everything that you would want to preach and tell people for the next stage or their current stage in their life, what are the top things and lessons that you've learned? Oh, Karina, this is hard because I'm a long-winded person, okay? Okay, it's all right. I'm happy 60 seconds. But just the practice of like reflecting and calling them out very quickly as lessons will be hard for me. Um, Okay, so I'll try to go as quickly as possible. No, no, take your time, take your time. Number one is you are enough. Number two, no achievement, accomplishment, or like life stage will make you happy. Uh, on its own. Number three is, you know, particularly in the age of social media now with Instagram, a big mindset I had to like overturn was that you are still valuable if you have nothing to announce right now. Um, Another thing is your anxiety will not define you. Um, I think another lesson that I've really taken seriously this year is that if you do not take care of your body and your mind, that will impact you more than anything else. Um, I also think that it's it's cheesy, but comparison really is a thief of joy. Um, make time for the simple moments. You do not need to be stimulated at all times. <laughs> um, busyness is not a badge of honor. Um, and I'll just close with, again, you are enough, right? Because I, I'm one of those people that because of my life and because of the constant habit loop of achievement, praise, achievement, praise, achievement, praise, it's taken me years to override that pattern and thought loop in my head where if it's Saturday and I don't, you know, work on anything or I don't have a side hustle or I'm not, you know, cranking something out or maximizing my time. If I just sit down and watch Netflix or read a book, I'm still valuable. And I think our generation sometimes struggles with the the belief that every minute of every day needs to be maximized Mm -hmm. for you to get ahead. And I'm here to tell you that like, I was the most successful when I slowed down, when I decided I'm going to focus on my job I'm going to focus on, you know, really savoring time at home with my husband. I am going to cook more and listen to music and sing in my kitchen and show up authentically on Instagram and not have an action plan for everything. You know what I mean? That was when the favor really started coming into my life. And I was, I was at peace enough 
to receive it. So that wasn't 20 seconds, sis, but I, I hope it blessed wow. me. Because so yeah. many times in my life, I was happy for, and I, of course, received it and took it. Oh, yeah. But the happiness lasted 24 hours because I was already on to the next thing. Wow. You know? Wow. And so I just want everybody to, like, learn to slow down. And that was a huge lesson for me in 2020, um, to slow down and, like, not – because everything that brought me joy that was – super, not superficial, but just short term went away. I couldn't go on to the next dinner with friends or like the next brunch or the next this or the next that. I had to be at home by myself and my husband and my dog. So like, you know, when I used to be walking around Manhattan, going to drinks with my, with my girlfriends and now, you know, uh, something that brings me joy is walking my dog. Or FaceTiming my niece who lives in Europe and is eight months old. That's a huge change, but I feel happier now. Wow. 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 The time that you were most successful is when you slowed down. Yes. Wow. That's just unbelievably amazing. (laughs) And I thank you so much for taking the time for us to get to know each other, which we did before we started recording. And I thank you so much for being so raw and authentic and real. Um, I, you know, if you don't have, don't follow Natalie now, I'll definitely put her handle on this podcast episode, but she is hilarious, authentic, your home girl. And she's amazing at what she does. And she's amazing at what she does because she's passionate about it. And it's what she truly, truly loves. And she did it for free. <laughs> and that's definitely the advice that I'm going to take. Um, what you do for free. That's usually where your passion is. That's what your passion is. Amen. So I just want to thank you once again for being on this show, sis, um, on One Day at a Time, also known as ODAT, the place where we love interviewing the true hustlers of the world that were redefining hustler. Don't worry. Women who are basically killing it out there um, in the life. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. <laughs>